where you found us. Welcome to the Community Church Oxford podcast. We are so honored that you decided to join us. We hope that if you don't have a church home, that you'll find a church home that is a Bible preaching church. However, if you are just checking us out, we're honored that you would do that. We hope that you're encouraged by God's word today. You're also encouraged by the experience that you have through our podcast. If you want to find out more about us, you can check us out at www.communityoxford.com or check us out on social media via Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Again, thank you for joining us today at the Community Church Oxford Podcast. I love that song for lots of reasons. Number one, because he's always holding on to us, amen? And secondly, I love that song because of the simple fact it says he will never let us down. But notice, church, it did not say that we won't let him down. And this morning is uh, we continue our journey through burden and blessing, Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. This morning, we are actually going to kind of go from a blessing to a burden because Paul is desiring so much for the Thessalonians to live blameless lives, to to live lives according to that which they are called. And this morning, it's going to be a time and a challenge because what Paul is telling the Thessalonians is, is that, hey, you might live amongst sin. Sin might be all around you, but it's really, really important that you don't give in to that sin, that you don't allow yourself to get sucked into that. And church, I'm just going to be real honest with you this morning I think too often we think that Christianity is about a list of do's and don'ts when it's really about a relationship with the one who can help us overcome the do's and the don'ts. And so today as we dive in, we're going to find ourselves in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll look at 12 verses. The goal is is that I won't try to preach too hard and we'll get out of here on time, but it's a, it's a pretty pretty tough text. It's a pretty important text. Charles Swindoll says it this way. This powerful and practical portion of the letter reveals Paul's pastoral burden for the Thessalonians. We also need to understand that Paul is writing to the Thessalonians in Thessalonica from a city called Corinth. And if there was a sin city, hear me church, If there was a sin city in first century Roman Empire, Corinth was it. So Paul had an even greater motivation to warn the Thessalonians about the temptations to immorality there in Thessalonica. So I ask you to pray with me this morning because when we preach God's word and we study God's word, the goal is, is that God would be the one that convicts and convinces. Amen? not us or others around us. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text. God, I didn't ask for it. You wrote it. We find ourselves in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning, and so since we find ourselves there, I will preach it. I will not run around it. I will not hide from it. I will not act as if it does not exist. My prayer is is that I will only preach it. But God, you know this week as I have prepared for this, I've also been reminded of my own failures and sins in the past. And I pray that 
they don't haunt me in the present, nor that I repeat them in the future. But Father, this morning, I pray that as the subtitle of 1 Thess chapter 4 says, a life pleasing to God. God, I pray that we would all be encouraged this morning to walk in the way we ought to walk so that we might please God and not man. God, I pray this morning again selfishly that you would forgive me, that you would hide me behind your cross this morning. And God, that you would allow Scripture to preach for itself. God, thank you for my time of preparation this week. God, thank you for my reminder this week that you love me no matter what. And God, I pray this morning that as we find all of ourselves walking through this, this challenge, this battle, and this journey, God, may we know that we don't walk alone. So God, let your word preach for itself. And we ask you to fill us up with your presence. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said? First this, 4.1, read with me. Finally, then, brothers... We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Listen to verse 12, church, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I am so grateful, church, for how the Word of God has challenged me, encouraged me, convicted me, and changed me. Amen? I pray this morning that you would allow the Word of God to do the same thing in your life as it has in mine. And as it has in the past, as it will in the present, and hopefully in the future. I also pray this morning that you would be reminded, church, that the church is known so much for what we're against instead of what we're for. I also ask you this morning to remind yourself that you and I are not near as important as we think we are. We think it's us that actually changes other people. But hear me, church, man has never changed man. The only man that has ever changed man was fully man yet fully God, and he had a name, and his name was Jesus. Also understand this, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts. It is the Word of God that changes man or woman, 
And God's word is that which is going to change you. And I understand that sometimes when we look at text that talks about certain sins, it's easy for us to start pointing fingers to those people around us and go, oh, he's talking to you this morning. Oh, he's talking to you, girl. This, oh, girl, he's talking to you this morning. But what I want us to understand this morning is, is that God's word is talking to all of us. The same way Paul found himself in Corinth, the sin city of that day, he knew that Thessalonica was not that much different in Corinth. And so what did he do? In this letter, he warned his brothers and sisters to do what? To stay sexually pure. Many of you are probably like me, meaning you think that you've gotten to a place where you've seen the worst. You think it can't get any worse than this. Like it can't get any it can't, it can't, it just can't. And then it what? Does. I love the fact that we think that we're living in the worst times ever. Have you read Genesis? I mean, seriously, have you read the book of Genesis? We see this unbelievable creation. We see where God makes everything. What does he say, church? It's good. Then he makes man, and what does he say? It's very good. And then he says, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. So he creates him a helper, and he calls her woman. And he also says that she's very good. And Genesis 2 says, a man will leave his mother and his father, and he will be united to his wife, and the two shall become one. And then he puts them in a garden and gives them a work to do, and it doesn't take very long for those two people, just two people, to screw everything up. And if you keep reading, if you read in Genesis chapter 5 or chapter 7 or chapter 10, church, it does not take long for man to allow the wheels to fall off in this thing called life. But I don't know if you know this or not. I like me. And if you're honest with yourself this morning, you like you. And so when you start looking at how bad it is, you go, oh, it's got to be, it's got to be bad. Like this has got to be the worst it's ever been. Just hang on. You have not seen anything yet. I'll be honest with you. I praise God that God gave me two boys. I just, I mean that with all my heart. And to ladies in this building, can I just share with you? I am sorry that the world has told you that less is more. That less is more. God has made you for more than just your appearance. God has made you for a purpose and a calling. Men are not the only ones that are, that are called for a purpose. You have been called for a purpose. But the world wants you to be reminded that you are but just a piece of meat or a subject. And the world has told you less is more. I'll never forget this summer will be 18 years that we moved here. And everybody warned me, man, when you get to Oxford, you just got to know, man, it's hard. Like, what do you mean it's hard? Then I move here and I understand exactly what they're talking about. Everybody trying to keep up with everybody else. Like, young girls don't get to be young girls because they're trying to be college kids. High school kids don't get to be high school kids because they're trying to be what? College kids. And college kids don't know what it means to be a college kid, so they just run crazy. And then you graduate from college and you love this town so much and you like hanging out at the bar and the club and all that, so you go get a real job so that you can now pay for your own tab and you hang around a little longer. And by the way, if you think I'm hating on a bar, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there's a lot of confusion that goes on around here. 
Then you take a, a, a late 20 or an early 30, and she's trying to find her identity, or he's trying to find his, find his identity, and he acts like he and she acts like she is still in college. And then, if you don't believe me, just go walk on the square, and you'll see two women, and you'll go, well, they look like sisters, but then you realize they're actually a mother and a daughter. And you see poor old daddy walking behind him with his head down. You know the reason he's walking around with his head down? Because he realizes that every person is looking at his wife and also his daughter in a way that they should not be looking at them because the world has told them less is more. And church, all I'm telling you is this. Just because the world says it's okay doesn't mean that it's okay. Did you hear me, church? Just because the world says it's okay doesn't mean that it's okay. By the way, I'm talking about where we are presently. Let's look at the parallel of what Paul was trying to write to the Thessalonians in Thessalonica. Look at verses 1 and 2. Finally then, notice there's a couple of commas there. Finally, comma, then, comma. He's just asking you to pause. Brothers, we ask and urge you. By the way, I love how he simply starts by saying, Paul says, we ask. We're asking you to do something. We're not making you. How does he start? He says, we ask you. And then he gets a little bit more blunt. We ask in what, church? Urge you in the Lord Jesus. In the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Look at verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Remember, church, Paul is writing this section because he is burdened for his fellow believers in Thessalonica. The way chapter 3 ends is the principle he is challenging them here with here in chapter at the beginning of chapter 4. Turn back with me to 1 Thess chapter 3 verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 13. Look at what it says. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father and at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. So that he may establish your hearts blameless Church, I don't know about you, but if you are a believer, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, if you understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, you've probably dealt with or going to deal with or, or currently dealing with that sometimes Christianity feels like a bunch of, like a big roll of paper. And when you give your life to Jesus, on one side there's the do's of what you can do, and then there's the don'ts of what you can do. Are you tracking with me? Like you thought based on your observation of everybody around you who called themselves a believer, who called themselves a Christian, you really felt like that, that your life was based on what you could do and what you couldn't do. And so when in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13, I mean, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 13, so is when it says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless. Why does God want to establish our hearts blameless? 
Because he doesn't want any imperfections. Hear me, church. He doesn't want anything to get in the way of your relationship with him. Because I don't know if you know this or not, what I was describing just a minute ago was offensive to some of you. And the reason it was offensive to some of you as I talked about your sweet little hometown of Oxford is because you know it's true. You know it's true. People say, where are you from? I'm from Cleveland, Mississippi. Where's your home? My home is Cleveland, Mississippi. But let me ask you a question, church. When you've lived somewhere almost as long as you've lived in another place, does that mean you have a new home? It's a trick question because I don't know the answer. I'm always going to be from where? Cleveland. That's where I grew up. That's my home. But guess what? When you've lived somewhere almost as long as you've lived anywhere else in your life, does that not become your home? And so as it becomes your home and you start talking about the home that you came to 18 years ago and you start talking about the negatives of that home and you start talking about the challenges of that home, are you not talking about your own self and your own people? Yes. The point that I'm trying to make out it, make is, is this. I am a pastor who serves in this town and so guess what? This is my town. I know some of you are saying, you live in Abbeville. What I'm saying is, I live here, I work here, and I go to church here. I can't afford to live here. That's not my problem. I live in the Ville. But what I'm saying is, is that where you do life affects you, fair or not fair. So Paul is saying here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says, look, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. What he's saying is, is guess what, church? It might be bad, but Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, he wants to find you as holy people. Why? Because he is holy and he's called us to be holy. Blameless just means to be found without fault, to be found without scar or dent or dirtiness or uncleanness. And so that's how he ends chapter 3. Look at how he begins chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Finally then, brothers, we ask you, like we politely ask you, but because we know just asking you is not going to work, we urge you in the Lord Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Remember, we talk about seeking others around here a lot. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is the end of what we call the Great Commission. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, listen to this, church. I am with you always to the, ends, to the end of the age. I here is Jesus, are with you. I, Jesus, are with you always to the end of the age. Do you see that? Now go back with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. Do you see the parallels between Matthew 28 and 1 Thessalonians 4? What Paul is saying to the Thessalonians in Thessalonica, he's saying, look, I'm not urging you on behalf of Paul and Timothy and Silas. I'm urging you on behalf of who? Jesus. I'm urging you on behalf of Jesus to be reminded, church, that you've been called to a holy life. You know what holy means? To be set apart, to be different. Church, we are to be different. And I get it. The struggle is real. 
You know why the struggle is real? It's because nobody talks about it. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You ask somebody how they're doing, what do they say, good? You ask somebody how's life going, oh man, life's great. Can I be honest with you? We have gotten, it's become an art form in lying to one another. Like we are so good at lying to ourselves that we automatically lie to other people. You're like, preacher, I ain't real sure what you drank this morning or what you ate for breakfast, but why are you so mad? I'm not mad. All I'm saying is, is Paul is urging, he's asking and urging the Thessalonians and Thessalonica to what? In Christ Jesus, and we're going to get to the rest of it, but he's asking and urging them. Why? Because he doesn't want them to be like everybody else. But church, here's the reality. When you don't let anybody know that you struggle or you sweat or you fall short, then guess what? Everybody doesn't think they can talk to you because they really know that inside of their heart and in their mind and their life, what are they doing? They are falling apart. The world in which they live in is crumbling Like the shock of gas reaching $5 a gallon is freaking some of us out. Thinking about the fact of trying to raise a kid in this community is driving you crazy. Trying to figure out how you're going to pay for this or pay for that makes you go nuts inside. But but, but when somebody asks you how you're doing, what do you say? Oh, I'm good. Wouldn't it be cool if we did this, if I asked you you if you were good? For me just to look at you point blank and go, you're lying? Remember, I don't know if you know this or not, there's a couple of things I can handle, there's a couple of things I can't. Don't call me a liar and don't cuss me. You call a man a liar, a woman a liar, what's she want to do? Put up the dukes. Do you know what the sad thing is, church? We know we're lying. But here's the reality. The reason we don't tell them how we're really doing because we don't really think they care. They're just asking because they're just trying to be polite. I've shared this before, I'll share it again. Sorry, it, it, it applies I'm on Delta State's campus in Cleveland, Mississippi. I'm walking across the quad. I see this young lady. I said, good morning, how you doing? And she stops me in the middle of the quad. I'm I'm trying to get to an eight o'clock class. I was honestly just trying to be nice. Good morning, how are you doing? And she stopped me and she said, are you for real? I said, excuse me? I'm I'm a 19-year-old freshman. Some of you are trying to figure that out. I like first grade. I went back again. And, And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at her and I said, she said, are you serious? And I was serious about what? She said, well, you just, you just said good morning. You asked me how I was doing. Do you really want to know how I'm doing? Sure. I'm late for class because for about 20 minutes, this woman, just, this young lady just begins to just give me everything. Hello, who was the idiot that asked the question? Good morning, how are you doing? It was, it, it was just what we do in the South. We're just being polite. We're just being nice. And she stopped me and she said, are you for real? I think so. Boom. And she begins to tell me about how her car broke and how she's failing this class and how she can't pay for school and, and how Somebody in her family was sick. I mean, I was 19, I'm 45, it was a long time ago. But what I'm saying is, she is unloading on me. Why, church? Because I asked her how she was doing. And she actually told me the truth. Guess what I did the next morning? Good morning. Why? Because we say one thing, but we really don't mean it. 
Paul is meaning what he's saying. He is living in Corinth, and he is saying to the church of Thessalonica, he's going, guess what, guys? It's bad. It is bad. So I ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. There's a certain way we ought to walk, church. There's a certain way that we that there's a certain way to please God. Just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Like more is not enough. You shouldn't just do it more. You should do it what? More and more. Because guess what? You and I are going to have to walk in a way that pleases God more and more. Why? Because there's so many people around us that aren't walking that way. Look at verse 3, or verse 2, excuse me. For you know what instructions we gave you to the Lord Jesus. Hence, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God our and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all the saints. You know the instructions. What are the instructions? To be blameless. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Big word, right? We freak out. Big word. Sanctification simply means to be what? Set apart, free from sin. Keep reading with me. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And here's a quick time out. What is sexual immorality? Here's the problem, church. Sexual immorality is anything that we do sexually that does not please God. If God intended it to be one way and we created another way, is that not a problem? Yes. God made you in his image and he made you male and female. If we think otherwise, is that not a problem? Yes. But don't get mad at me because I said it. I'm just reminding you of what God's word says. And look, I'm not picking a fight. I'm just reminding you that God has called you to a certain calling. And when you try to live outside that calling, guess what, church? You have a problem. So when you ask somebody how they're doing and they're not doing so well because they're not living a blameless, holy life in the way that God created us to live and they want to know why their world's all jacked up and you begin to tell them why their world's all jacked up because they've got a messed up view of sexuality, they've got a messed up view of who they really are and who God is, then they want to know is there another option and the question or the answer is church no there's God's way or there's no way oh you can go your way but where's it going to lead church to destruction but I get it some of you are like well I struggle with sexual sin guess what I have too And this is why today is so hard because I know my struggles. I know what I've struggled with in the past. I know how overwhelming it's been to struggle with a sexual sin. And you know why sexual sin is so hard? It's because of the simple fact you're not just sinning against yourself and God. You're sinning against somebody else. And that's hard. But I want to ask you a question, mom and dad in this room. Is there anything your kid can do to cause you not to love them? I've asked this question a lot. The answer is simple, no. So guess what? If God, if you'll love your kid if they do anything, will God not also love you? Yes. But understand this, church. He's not going to be okay with you staying in your sinfulness. He's going to keep pursuing you and keep loving you and keep running after you. Notice what I just said, church. He's going to keep loving you and pursuing you and running after you. What do we do when somebody sins in this world? We run from them like they have the plague. We run from them like they have the coronavirus. We run from them like they have HIV. We run from them like they have some type of uncurable disease. And guess what, church? We all have an uncurable disease. It's called sin. But praise God, there's a cure, and his name is Jesus. 
That doesn't mean that we don't have to walk through it. That doesn't mean that we don't have to work through it. But we've been called to sanctification, and what does that mean? It means that we've been called to be set apart. We've been called to be free from sin. And church, all of us, every last one of us has struggled with this. Keep reading with me in verse 4. Excuse me, verse, yeah, verse 4. Actually, it's the end of verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body. How's that working out for you? Because if you ever notice, we'll pick on people about sexual sin. I grew up in a Baptist church, so we picked on those people that drank. Like literally, we picked on everybody that drank. That was the only sin that really mattered was drinking. I don't know if you know this or not, and this is going to be a little hard for some of you to realize, but my Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. But isn't it amazing how we'll take something and we'll, 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 we'll pervert it? We'll make it about us. Pretty much what Paul's telling the Thessalonians at Thessalonica is this. The only way you're going to become sanctified is you got to allow the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ to change you from the inside out. And you got to know how to abstain and be under control. Some of us don't ever need to be around certain things. Why? Because we can't control ourselves. But some of us can be around certain things because we can control ourselves. And this is another idea. Maybe you ask other people around you, are you in control or out of control? Keep reading with me. Now let me read this. Swindoll says it's not as if there's a roll of paper on one side, it tells us what we can do and, what, and on the other, the things that we can't do. What he's saying is, is this, there's a calling in your life and my life and it's to be holy and blameless. Why? Because he wants us to be set apart for his work. Verse five, he's saying in verse four that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Look at verse 5, not, the, not, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one, verse 6, that no one transgresses, transgress and wrongs his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you. For God has not called, you, called us to impurity but into holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And this is what I want you to see as we're closing this morning, is that when you do these things, and when I do these things, I'm not sinning just against man. I'm not sinning just against my wife. I'm sinning against God. And church, what you need to understand is, is that you and I sinning against each other is a bad thing. But when we sin against God, it's a whole nother level. And so as God is turning in your hearts and minds this morning, we all got lust. We all got sins. We all got struggles. But what Paul is trying to tell the Thessalonians in Thessalonica is the same thing that God's trying to tell us through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is this. 
I'm asking you and urging you what? To walk in a way, to walk in a manner in which you've been called. Meaning, Christians, we're supposed to look different, act different, walk different, and talk different. When the world tells everybody that the church says, no, you're not welcome, you know what the church ought to say? Oh, yes, you are welcome. When the world says that you've done something that's unforgivable, what did God say in your life when you thought you were unforgivable? Come home, my child. You have a place at the table. I got a robe. I got a ring. You are invited. I love you. And guess what? I might not like what you're doing, but you got a place at the table. And how does Paul close out this section in closing this morning? Look at verses 9 through 12. Behaving properly toward outsiders. Check it, look, look at what verses 9 through 12 say. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Meaning, guess what? You might be loving well, church, but you got to do it more. And not just more, but you got to do it even more. Why? Because the outsiders are looking at us. And they're going... How do you love sinners? How do you meet people where they are? Are you just going to throw them out or are you going to meet them where they are? I praise God that the Bible says we meet people where they are. We love them where they are. That doesn't mean we agree with them. That doesn't mean that we don't call out what's in their life. But what it does mean, church, is, is that you've sinned and I've sinned. And guess what? We're loved. And what should we do? We ought to love one another. And by loving one another, you know what the, church is gonna, you know what the world's going to be to the church? It's going to be attracted to us instead of distracted by us. Because see, here's the message of Jesus. You're a sinner, but I got a solution, myself. You've fallen short, but I got an answer. It's my love. You don't feel worthy, that's okay. I'm worthy enough for both of us. And you're gonna keep loving more and more. You're gonna keep reminding more and more. You're gonna keep asking and urging more and more. Why, church? Because God did it in your life. And others did it in your life. And others did it in my life. And if they didn't do it, guess what? I wouldn't be standing here today. And you wouldn't be sitting where you are today. Why? Because we're all screwed up. We're all jacked up. And it's not just a sexual sin. It's all sin. We have all fallen short. But you know what God says? There is room at the table. You are welcome in this place. I'm not asking you to change overnight, but I'm asking you that you need to acknowledge that there is a need for change. And when you acknowledge that there's a need for change, guess what, church? He will be the one that changes you, not you changing yourself. Because some of you have been trying that, have you not? You've been trying to fix yourself, and how's that work? You're trying to change your behavior without changing your belief. But keep reading with me, verse 10. For that, for not, for that, Indeed, is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Look at verse 11. And aspire, this is hard for me, listen to me, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. What he's saying is, hey, before you go call somebody else's junk out, you better deal with your own junk. Guilty. I got a question as we close this morning. Anybody else guilty? No, I don't think you understand what I'm asking. I'm guilty. So God needs to deal with me before I deal with you. And you need to let God deal with you before you deal with me. And look at how he closes out this section. Sorry, Caden. Verse 12. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. 
that you may walk properly to outsiders and be dependent on no one. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying to the church of Thessalonica that you got problems and I got problems. But there's an answer to that problem. And that answer has a name. His name is Jesus. Will you stand with me? Father, I ask you in these moments to let me deal with my stuff and let my brothers and sisters around me deal with their stuff. And Father, as we deal with our stuff, may you run after us and may we run to you this morning because forgiveness is available. Change is available. The holy life is available. And God, if we're good in this place, if we're good here this morning, God, they, may we do it more and more and more so more and more people will want to be more like you and less like us. So God, as we ask the question this morning, how are we doing? God, may we quit lying to ourselves and more importantly, quit lying to you and come clean this morning and lay it before you so that you can clean us up and make us right in your eyes, not, in the right, not, in, not right in the eyes of man, but right in your eyes. God, we give you these moments. We give you this time. Show up, show out in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, you respond, will you? My name is Fish Robinson. I'm the lead pastor here at Community Church Oxford. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Community Church Oxford podcast. We hope that you'll consider joining us again in the future. Until then, God bless.